The Fujicast is an independent loading zone production. Tuesday, 31st of March. The Fujicast. Hello, Kev. Hello, Neil. <laughs> he greets me with a nice big sniff to start. <laughs> Sorry. Are you all right? Sorry. Yeah. You've just, yeah, not too bad. You've just been out for a walk with the with Git and the and the other dog. Getting breezy. Getting yeah. breezy. Yeah, nice little walk. It's a nice day today. Did the family go with you as well? Yeah, we all went. Yeah. yeah. You seeing many? Are you seeing many people, or they're all hidden away? No, none at all. It's really funny. We've got a guy, um, an old guy who lives about three doors away from us. I say old. He's probably, I don't know, late seventies maybe, and um, he he's always in the pub and everything like that. And he's a, he's a real old character. And as we were going out the doors, he was coming out of his door. Yeah. And so uh, Gemma waited for him to kind of, you know, get himself sorted and and everything. So stay the required distance away. Yeah, clear the area. And he, he just turned around and he said, come on, love, I'm not coughing. It's all right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know, but it's, it's got to take it seriously. I know. I know. Yeah. It's such a difficult thing. Welcome to the Fuji cast, uh, the daily Fuji, Fuji cast at the moment, while all this nonsense is going on. I say nonsense, this stuff is going on in the world. Um, and, uh, yeah, thank you for your questions that you've been sending in. It's not just a show for those that use Fujifilm cameras. It's very much turning into a show that just joins the photographic community together. So thank you for, for joining us. Thank you as well for, over the last uh, couple of days, I've received a couple of DMs and messages um, about the John McCarthy interview o- over the weekend. That's uh, very kind of you, very generous of you. Um, he was a good guest, and, of course, there are particular parallels um, in terms of um, of isolation at the moment and the isolation that, that he was talking about. And if you're not quite sure who, who John McCarthy is, and not quite sure what stone you've been living under, but he's um, the, the former Beirut hostage that was kept for... It was about five years, four months, I think. Mm, one th- yeah. Um, yeah, just uh, 1,943 days. Incredible amount of time. Unbelievable. Mm. But... Uh, um, so we're not quite in those um, uh, in, in, in that kind of situation, but some of the parallels that he drew and what he talked about, and I, I, I know, were, were quite potent for some people. Pertinent for, for some people. Talking of which, let's start off with this one from Helen Fennell, friend of the show, Helen Fennell, uh, an extra gold star. She says for the Daily Shows, I have MS, and so I isolated quite early, and your podcast has become part of my daily routine in these very odd times. Um, Helen Kev sent in. I'm not sure if you saw, did. You see the um, the incredible astronomy shots that were sent in. I did. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that was Helen, was it? Yeah. Mm. And she yeah, sent um, you know, a story of her journey, which started with Grandad giving her a book when she was a wee small Helen Fennel. Uh, to years later, driving to go and find areas uh, the best areas she possibly could with the least light pollution, which I would imagine is very important when you're doing astronomy photography. But uh, I thought it was stunning, stunning shots, Helen. Although I wouldn't personally know my. My, uh, I only remember a few. Uh, Orion Nebula from my microscopium. Um, I, from your what? <laughs> exactly. It's from your microscopium. Connected to your something bone. <laughs> did you know that the International Space Station flew over last night, Kev? I, I do. I did. I even tried to look for it. Um, did you see it? I couldn't see it. Sam was convinced she saw it. I think she just saw a police helicopter searching for joyriders. No, it's pretty easy to see, actually, is when it? it when it is going. So she moved. If it was moving quick enough, she would have seen it. Um, if she, sorry, if it was above you. 
but there's there's a really cool app called um night sky on the phones um, oh I, I, the iss thing yes yeah and it shows you exactly it shows you what uh, what's above you and yeah. like if you put you just point you have to calibrate the the phone with the uh, gimbals and everything that's inside it but you point to a star and it tell you what star it is and uh, it's amazing and it shows you when the iss is going over when we're in spain god remember those days when we used to go to spain um <laughs> Kevin, it's only a year we used to uh, yeah well it'd be two years now oh, it'd be two it? years yeah oh, god, year. yeah Mm. um anyway the uh yeah it was great i used to love that i could just kind of lie on my back in the middle of the, the yeah, desert well, in spain and yeah. the sky the skies are crystal clear yeah. and you could practically see the astronauts waving at you through the window <laughs> it's incredible you have a very very vivid imagination <laughs> uh, anyway she's very proud of the pics as the the time the effort the persistence needed to take these shots i think is incredible i really do yeah. Um, anyway, she said, it was my very long way of asking which photograph that you've taken are you most proud of? Um, sending best wishes um, from Earth, Helen Fennell. Um, I don't know. What, what's? I've... Well, we kind of talked about this a couple of weeks ago, didn't mm. we? When we, we did the, uh, I don't know whether it was proud or most important one. And I, I picked the one of Albie crying his eyes out. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Um, you picked the one of the bride and her mum, you know, embracing. Yeah. Mine all come from weddings, actually. I mean, there was that one. Did I ever tell that story about the the bride who there's there's a particular picture I show in my portfolio that um, is is a bride just looking over the shoulders of um, what is her father. And um, Luke, I am your father. I've been watching far too much Star Wars last couple of days. Um, uh, and um, anyway, I'm looking over the shoulder of the father and um, he is reading a reading. And, and at the time I take that particular shot, she's looking straight at her father and I'm right next to him. And the, the reading that he's reading at this wedding is not the reading that she gave him um, or they always agreed to read out. It's actually a letter that he wrote to her on the very day she was born. Mm. And the the look in her eyes. That's another one of my my favourites. They all seem to be from weddings. I think well, the one I'm most <laughs> most. I'm not sure proud is the right word to use, but the one I was uh, luckiest, I suppose, is um, I took a picture from the Tokyo Sky Tree of the Tokyo skyline, and and we were up there one year, and uh, the clouds broke, and this beam of sunshine came down, and, and literally there was about two hundred people up there at the time, and wow. every single person took exactly the same picture as me, exactly the same one, uh, and me and Bert or me and Bert Stefani always laugh because um, his his picture, like his pixels are the same it's identical we took we took it with the same cameras from the same position it, you could not tell a difference um and i i entered mine into the swpp landscape photography competition and won it won landscape photography of the year with this picture oh, i remember <laughs> it yes i do remember it <laughs> and it was in the daily mail and everything yeah, and it was yeah. uh wedding photographer comes good with landscape incredible landscape scene of tokyo and um it was amazing it got picked up i, I actually sold a few copies of that and it you got did, picked yeah. up by a calendar company and all sorts and um <laughs> It just makes me chuckle because I'm not a landscape photographer by any sense. The imagination and about 600 people had the same picture. <laughs> Did he ever enter on one of his for the, the, the same picture for a competition? I'm just wondering if he's, he's got so. got declined. No, it's not good enough. We like yeah, Kev, we like Kev's though. Kev's is very good. Yeah, Kev's was great. Yeah. <laughs> uh, as, as, the thing is, the irony is, he literally was because he's about 17 feet taller than me. So yeah. he was just stood behind me took his picture over the top of my head. Wow. So the position, the angle. It's, 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 all, it's all angles. You see, yours is one foot lower and yeah. clearly much better. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. 
Asim, um, in case you wondered, I was being rude to you just a moment ago. Um, Asim from Geneva in Switzerland. Oh, we went to Geneva recently, didn't we? Um, yeah. We did, did we go? We went to Zurich, not Geneva. Oh, we flew to Geneva. We flew did to we? Geneva. Yeah, I'm sure we did. Didn't we fly into Geneva? I'm sure we did. And and because well, I remember the McDonald's there. <laughs> you know, oh, yeah. good. Yeah, you're right. It was good, Geneva, solid yeah. Swiss food. Yeah, that's right. Ah, oh, do you know what? I'd, that that's when, when all this is done and the restaurants all open up. I'm looking forward to a McDonald's. Isn't that bizarre? are <laughs> all the things you could choose yeah i'm not mm, sorry about that um hello guys you continue to make these days a bit more bearable and a very heartfelt thank you for that no storm lasts forever and this one won't either um but while we're at it i was wondering if we could do more uh, than just shoot pots and pans around the house by actually improving our craft i've always found a lot of insights in studying the works of the masters often by studying individual images I wonder if you've got a list of such images that you love, and if, on a dark, forbidding day with nothing better to do, uh, you could perhaps delve a bit deeper into why you love them. Um, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I do study the masters. Well, I must admit, I like the pots and pans work of Don McCullin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Don McCullin. Um, and spent, of course, yeah. um, Magic Pat over in Canada, he's he's the master of taking pictures Magic of pots Pat. and pans and making them look beautiful. Um, and you're a good friend. He, yeah, my good friend. Your other good friend, Louis Garvan. Uh, Lewis, yeah, yeah, yeah he's yeah, a yeah. pots and pans specialist as well. <laughs> the um, tomorrow uh, on the first of April is my my turn on the Cargo Collective. Uh, we're doing this series called Definitions, and we're all doing one a month for I think it's like twelve months or something. And um, and of course, I like yesterday, I woke up and thought I've got nothing to to show. You know, I've got nothing. I don't want to just put wedding pictures up there. And so I, I I had a gander around the very few pictures I've taken since we've been stuck in the house. And it's interesting if you if you want to look at it on the from the first of April, it's on car collective cargaycollective.com and that's k-a-g-e yeah. collective.com not cage uh, not cage no don't say cage because pat will go nuts yeah Kage. it's uh, japanese for shadow apparently anyway so i i dug into my um gfx and um the couple of pictures that i have taken and they're, they're kind of portraits and stuff and uh it was actually it was quite interesting because it's definitely even though i wasn't thinking about it it's definitely a play on light and shadow for sure in those pictures and we don't you know our house we've got we've got like a 700 year old cottage that has very little kind of window light so finding the light is pretty difficult but uh, um, is that they how old are, your cottage is? Uh, well, I'm not sure it's 700 oh, years God, old, but it's certainly, it's certainly, I think the foundations were built in something like 1600 and wow. something or other. I mean, I know the plumbing's old, but... <laughs> yeah, the plumbing's old. Um, yeah, yeah, it's very old, you know. So um, we, uh, yeah, I, I did. I, I was quite pleased with some of the pictures. I thought, actually, you know, because they were snapshots, really, but definitely a, a play on the light. And I think that's that kind of comes natural. Oh, I, I don't know. That sounds arrogant, doesn't it? It comes natural to me. But the most important thing I think about when I'm shooting in the house is the light, you know. And, yeah. and even if you're just shooting pots and pans, the light is what can make those pots and pans look interesting yeah, to yeah. pots of pans lovers what uh, <laughs> i'm not i'm not so sure asim is a big uh, at spockney by the way s-p-o-c-k-n-y um if you're going to look at his instagram stuff i'm not i'm not so, so sure asim was looking for us to suggest how to shoot pots and pans i think he was trying to get away from it but i tell you what if you want some good pots and pans asim go do a google search on don mccullin still life look what comes up apples yeah. on a stone absolutely amazing there's a real gravity to his work you didn't just fall into it. i was looking at it the other day i feel very tempted i went in the shed the other day and i found some old paint and stuff i thought i'm gonna rag roll a piece of old hardboard and go go and do some don mccullin 
um, apples on a stone. <laughs> well, it, but the thing is, that's you know, th- the Mirandi, the the artist. He uh, there's a he's got a very se- uh, famous series of work called Mirandi's Objects, and um, they are literally pots and pans, and yeah. and he painted them, and then uh, Joe Merowitz went ahead and and f- replicated it all through photographs. Um, you know, and there's a book called Mirandi's Objects by Joe Merowitz. But Mirandi, the artist, if you look at his stuff, it's uh, it's incredible, and you'll see the subtleties of where the light is falling in the day that he's taking the picture he's, he's painting the picture um and they're all done in exactly the same place as well it's 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 quite incredible it's, it's an interesting study if yeah. you're a pots and panerist <laughs> there's money to be made in pots and pans i'm telling you there is pots and pans photography.com <laughs> yeah, absolutely um martin ellard hope you're both coping in these yada 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 times uh just following on from my post in the facebook group uh if you haven't joined yet go join uh the the private fujicast uh facebook group i wanted to say thanks kev for his natter about david hearn's book on episode 62 made me uh, dig back to the old drawers of slides and negs to find my pentwin colliery college project from 28 years ago um enjoying the daily while editing yes editing he says i was lucky to have a couple of decent commercial shoots and an epic wedding a few weeks before lockdown so in between family time i'm still getting work done cheers martin Hepburn colliery uh, honestly those types of things that that Mar- um we talked about um david hearn stuff and um you know martin past and similar stuff back in the old days and you know i love all of that industrial real life yeah. photography like nowadays i don't know you, you again we've talked about it before it's it's more about nostalgia. You know, you look at yeah. these old pictures and then they're nostalgic. The reason why often they're, they're appealing is because it brings back nostalgia. Whereas if you took the picture today and then just kind of processed it and looked at it, you would think, hmm, okay. But then in 20 years time, when you look at that picture again, you think, wow, I remember, you know, when those people looked like that. That was during the during the COVID during the war, war of 2020. I'll tell you what, you don't get squalor like you used to. <laughs> yeah, in our day, exactly. we used to live in a piece of coal. on that note from paul velander thanks for the daily yada yada another one hello chap saturday i decided to sort the attic out sam's been trying to make me do that and i'm too worried i might pull a hole down or something and we really will be in trouble Uh, we sleep in the attic we don't have an attic (laughs) i do we don't even sleep in an attic attic you're lucky we sleep under a hole in uh, anyway you have to well what was that um have you been drinking? No, no. Drinking? Do you not remember that um, that comedy sketch? No, I don't think so. Are you on about up the elephant around the castle? Was it? Was it that one when they had the old man who lived in the roof that you never saw with uh, Jim Davidson? No, I think we're on two totally different programs here. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, I decided to sort the attic out. No, I've not been drinking. Not this time of the afternoon. Been meaning to for for, for years. Came across with study projects. It's been very cathartic watching how I've developed from some of the weird assignments I set myself to where I am now photographing corporate headshots non-tech question then kevin neil what's the weirdest assignment you had strangest photo request or otherwise careful with this one don't be rude it's not that one what's yours um if i was to leap back to you know martin just a moment ago was talking about um his uh what was it pentwin colliery college Mm. project i remember doing a project and i went to night school to do some photography stuff and uh I went, it was one of the first first dates I took Sam on. We went down to the uh, old debtors and Navy prison on Bodmin Moor. She must have thought I was very romantic mm. and walked around that place and took lots of pictures, which made some really nice sort of good sort of gritty black and whites. Not quite sure it was the best date I ever took her on. That was a bit mm. weird, I suppose. Oh, yes. No, I've, I've, um, I've done some weird um, corporate jobs. 
Yeah. I had to photograph a um, an MD in what looked like a nappy. <laughs> what? <laughs> Are you sure that was a corporate job and not some kind of fetish thing? (laughs) Don't be rude. (laughs) That was twice in one show. Uh, no, it was, there was a reason for it. It was, it was a, it was a, it was a team photo. It was to do with a a farmer company. So it did make sense. Yeah. Is he in prison now, that guy? (laughs) No, no, he's not. What's the weird, what's the weirdest thing you've, you've done then? I don't know. I think, um, I'm pretty boring in that respect. I, I, one of, one of the last photo shoots I did before the lockdown lockdown. was, um, I went and did the law. I do some photography for the great run company Mm -hmm. and they, uh, so in, uh, as well as the behind the scenes on race day kind of thing, I do the, um, they're uh, like they have a launch event for each of the major runs in Bristol. So there's a launch event for the Bristol 10K, which of course has been cancelled. And um, oh yeah, I was supposed uh, to work with you on that doing video. Just, oh, did they get in touch with you? I put them in touch with you. Yeah, thank you for that. I just remembered. Well, we're not uh, doing it anyway, Kev. We we won't. Well, yeah. No, no. Well, I, I sent her an email, and oh, sorry, we're having a bit of an off the <laughs> off the off the record conversation here. Private chat. I did, now. Send, <laughs> I did send her an email, recommended you, yeah. but I never heard back from her. So uh, oh, no, I no, she, no, she did. Yeah. So yeah, I got okay. I got approached. It's obviously um, it's not happening now anyway. No, no one's uh, running anywhere. Anyway, well, they'll do the the half marathon in September. Hopefully, yeah. that'll be a good gig. Yeah. The um. What was I saying? Oh yeah, so th- I turned up and uh, it's it was a new um, a new PR woman, right? So she didn't quite un- understand that normally I do the kind of behind the scenes stuff, you know. And uh, she had me taking pictures of um, what's that great big fluffy teddy bear bloke um, that does the Bungle. Uh, for children in need? What's not, his name? Not Bungle. Uh, no. No. God. No. Um, uh, children oh, Pud- in need. Pudsy. Pudsy. Yeah, yeah. So Pudsy was there. Yeah. And they had the woman who won the Great British Bake Off, and they had some famous runners and stuff like that. And um, I had to like take pictures of Pudsey holding them up in the air and all that kind of stuff. And you know, I was like, I was taking these pictures, and I was thinking, this is my worst nightmare. This is actually <laughs> my worst nightmare. Yeah. This could not possibly be f- further from what i generally do in my entire life um but they paid me of course yeah, <laughs> so, you, i was happy enough i think kev sometimes looks at a list of uh, formal portraits um in a in, a, in in sort of stark with stark horror don't you so, so to be given <laughs> pudsy posing <laughs> pudsy posing yeah oh bless uh, him he was he was lovely though the guy when he took his head off yeah he was sweating <laughs> i bet he was he took his he head was- off you mean it's not a real character Oh yeah, sorry kids. Yeah, yeah, sorry. <laughs> That's yeah. a bit like oh god, what was that thing that Noel Lemons used to have that um that bumped into everything? M- uh, Mr. Blobby. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Well, we all know but everybody has to go on the internet and search for that video footage of you now <laughs> on the stage at the Radio 1 Roadshow getting uh, blobbied. I got blobbed. I tell you what, and I'm not sure if it's on that one, but I did tell you the story about when he he actually pushed me off a stage that was about, I don't know, meter two meters up and i crashed down onto partly on partly onto the uh the security the steel security things that were around the edge uh, and some people as well <laughs> he didn't pro- he um proper, didn't he grow t- up to be proper the took me out did he what sorry didn't he grow up to be the stick <laughs> i think really i think so no i don't think <laughs> well, you so. don't see it you never have you ever seen mr blobby and the stick <laughs> in the same room no any american listeners thinking who is this blobby and stick <laughs> John St. John Smith just finally wrote in, uh, not so much a complaint, but he wanted to correct us uh, a little bit because he's absolutely fed up to the back teeth 
of hearing me have to go Nikon, 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 Nikon. He said, so I'm going to send you the proper pronunciation um, uh, as spoken by Japanese people, which ha- which therefore has to be correct, doesn't it, really? So this is the proper pronunciation, which he sent me today. Nikon. It's off the internet. Nikon. 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 Yeah, yeah. So they're Nikon. kind of more n- like Mikon, aren't they? Nikon. Nikon. hope that makes you yeah. feel better. Yeah. Okay, so from now on, we all, every time that word's mentioned, we have to go Nikon. <laughs> yeah, all at the same time. Nikon. That's it. I'll keep that jingle there, shall I? I know some Nikon ambassadors. <laughs> Do you? Do yeah. they have a Nikon? <laughs> Don't start that again. Right, uh, uh, interview time. Um, I think, with the exception of the old special or three, like the weekend just gone, talking to the incredibly resilient John McCarthy. These interviews or chats during the week are going to start to be more hangouts with photographers you might be interested to hear from or projects that that could spark you into action of your own or indeed two or three parters we can spread across a couple of weeks and this one has been very much the latter. Brian Caparici from Sprout Studios who trains photographers in the business side of running your own studio has been talking to us about this very unusual and uncomfortable time for photographers. We talked last week on episode 64 and 66 about marketing through this and what would happen when the shutters come up again the other side. And today, in this last part from Brian, contracts. And how at this time your contract, or indeed moral compass, could guide you as it comes to cancellations and postponements across different genres. And in the spirit of being honest with you, I'm going to share personally how my own contract may not have been so smart. I'm going to be honest and I'm going to tell you the bad thing about my contract and I'm going to listen to you wilt underneath your desk there as an almost, I'm, I'm going to imagine you putting your head in your hands thinking, oh no, what did you do? I'll put my microphone on mute. <laughs> now, I want to hear your honest reaction. <laughs> now look, I, I um, have run, main, I would say that 90% of my business, maybe more, it's changing a bit now since I'm going back into sound work. But let's be honest, the last 15 years, um, I put food on the table and bought new Lego sets for the boys, mainly because weddings have been very, very good for me and to me and to our family. So at one stage, Brian, I was shooting up to 80 weddings a year. And I used to talk oh on, gosh. yeah, I used to talk on stages here in the UK at different conferences about them. In fact, I, I had a talk called Around the Year in 80 Weddings. Oh my um, gosh. But it was something I did, and I was used to it. I had a, I had a retoucher as well that was working uh, with me. So that made life easier. And, and that was a business model, and I was okay mm-hmm. with that. Yeah, there were times where I thought, oh, you know, I'm not going to the beach again with the kids. But, but that, was, that was just the way we ran the business. So I had what I would call a fairly soft contract. It, it was very hardened, and I softened it because I thought the occasional person that pulled out if I was doing between what ended up to be between 60 and 80 weddings a year, if I lost somebody, it wasn't the end of the world. I'll go to the beach this weekend instead. Uh, And so the contract was that if I got to the the wedding date, um, 60 days before the wedding date, rather, um, if they cancelled, they only owed me half the amount of money. Now, of course, notwithstanding pandemics, that one came back to bite me in quite a severe way in the last... 30 days. So I'm seeing your head in your hands. That contract is clearly not a very good contract. Okay. Your, my response is, I think, actually going to surprise you. I I don't think, um, 
This is tricky. A lot of photographers are in this situation where they're all of a sudden realizing they didn't have the proper contract mm-hmm. in place. Now, here's my advice. And again, I need to say this. I am not a lawyer. I don't even play one on TV. So like, I can't even pretend that I, <laughs> that I know what I'm talking about. But I, I teach business. So I have insight into that side of things. I'll say as a disclaimer, whatever I say, please check with, with your own lawyer in your own geographical area with your own federal laws. However, at the end of the day, especially through times like this, I don't think a contract is even as important as we think it is. Really? Yes. And and I say that because I think in times like this, the most important thing is relationships. The most important thing is protecting your reputation, yeah. building a brand, having trust, having loyalty with your clients, having good word of mouth with your clients. We talked in previous episodes about marketing and about selling. And I've always held the position that contracts can do everything for us. I mean, we can literally have a clause about anything in a contract. And if anything goes wrong, we can whip out that contract and just slap it in our clients' faces and say, too bad, I have a contract. But that is never good for a relationship-based business like we have. So even if you had the most rock-solid contract, even if you could get the entire payment because of what's happened here, I still don't think it's the good. It's a good idea. I still think that right now, through this, relationships, having good word of mouth, working with your clients, being empathetic, being understanding is the most important thing, even in the existence of a rock-solid contract. I know that a lot of the photographers that teach on legal you know, topics and, and contracts are probably not going to like what I'm saying here. And I'm not saying that contracts aren't useful, they're not helpful, and that we don't want to have them. We do need to have them. But I don't think that it should ever be used as a weapon. I don't think it should ever be used at the expense of having a great relationship with our clients, being empathetic, having trust and keeping a really solid reputation. So I think that, yes, we can take this as a lesson and make sure that our contracts are a little bit more, uh, you know, sound in, in the way that they're structured. But I think that a contract is really just an excuse to have a teaching tool for our clients. Mm. A contract is meant to have something to guide a conversation so that we can have the conversations because they're about to sign this document that says, all these things. But at the end of the day, I still don't like, I would still rather see a photographer work with a client. Like again, you have to put yourself in our client's shoes. If you're a wedding photographer, I just had a wedding this past week. I was supposed to have a wedding this yeah. past weekend. <laughs> Me too. This is huge 200 person wedding. Oh, wow. And and they were humming and hawing. They were so stressed. They were so upset by it. And I could easily have said, look, like we're talking seven days before your wedding. You still owe me $8,000. I can't, I'm not going to let you based on my contract. Here's what's going to happen. Mm. But I didn't because that's not going to be good for the relationship. So I was empathetic. I worked with them and what they're doing instead is they're doing a one year anniversary, the same, the same day on mm. their one year anniversary at the same venue with the same package. Mm. So I worked with them. I moved their date because you have to put yourself in their shoes. Like I can't imagine the stress or the um, the worry that that these brides are having right now. I mean, they're looking at planning, 
you know, 50, 60, $70,000 weddings. They've got 200 of their best friends and their family coming from all around the area to come to this venue. They're, they've planned flowers. They've planned, I mean, you, you know, we know what's involved in planning a wedding. And all of a sudden, just to have that canceled, like it's, I can't, it's, it's so difficult. And then so for us to be like, well, you know what? Too bad. You owe me money because my business is struggling. They're saying, yeah. And I've got a hundred thousand dollars in liability right now because everyone's saying the same thing. Yeah. So if we can put on our, our, you know, humankind hats here, if we can put on our empathy hats and sort of work with our clients one-on-one, I think that we're going to find ourselves in the long run in a better position because we have prioritized relationships and human empathy over some document that's written on a piece of paper that they technically signed that they didn't realize what they were signing. So, so if you like that, I'm going to use a terrible, clumsy expression here, but that, that's the fluffier end of, of some people would say the fluffier end of photography being, being weddings because all love and engagements and love. What about the harder nose side that some people might say is corporate photography where you're dealing mm-hmm. with uh, blue chips or whatever? Uh, are you going to let them off those um, those contracts as well, or are you going to charge cancellation fees? D- does it change genre by genre? Damn, I wasn't prepared for that. That's a hard question. <laughs> That's a really hard question. Um, I think for me, my my thought process or my advice that I just gave when it comes to weddings or like people photography is again more so because that industry, that business, and your business moving forward is going to depend on those relationships. It's going to depend on your ability to be a person and connect as a person with people and have referrals and build this empathetic business. That's what that business is is based around. If you're a corporate photography studio and you've got five shooters and you just get booked to go cover events and there's no relationship, it's all RFPs, it's all you know invoice-based and whatever – it, does my opinion change? I, I think it probably does. And that's not because I don't think that the human connection or that the human element is not important in those situations, but it's because it's a different relationship. Mm. And the way that that business model is run, the way that that business model grows and how you get future business isn't necessarily entirely based on your ability to be empathetic mm. and be relatable and build trust with people as much as it is for a wedding photographer or a maternity photographer or a newborn photographer. So I think my advice probably would be a little bit different. At the same time, at the end of the day, it is still people we're dealing with. If you if you work with this one event planner who, you know, they book out a lot of your what a lot of your events corporate wise. And, you know, if you want to stick it to them, you know, is that going to be great for that relationship moving no, forward? I no. don't know. So I think that every situation is probably going to be a little bit differently yeah. or different. But I think, you know, these, these, <laughs> this is the thing you keep hearing it, but these are unprecedented times. I don't think anybody really has an answer. And so I think the best situation is to look at each case one by one. And you have to have a moral compass. You have to have a, a business compass. Like, what do you believe in? How, how strict are you comfortable being? And, and and maybe there's wedding photographers that'll disagree with this, and that's totally fine too. For me, my moral compass points me in the direction of being empathetic with my clients. Mm-hmm. We're in a small area here. There's a lot of word of mouth. The vendors all talk. I would rather, uh, you know, preserve a really good relationship with in in my community and in my, in my industry than to be known as the guy that screwed a bunch of brides out because mm-hmm. he had to make money. So, and, and again, I'm being a little bit harsh in saying that, but I think that. 
that's where everyone's going to have to use their own sort of moral guidelines to figure out what makes sense for them. I have a feeling we may be hearing more from Brian over the next uh, weeks and months. And that's it for today. So thanks, Kev. Nikon. <laughs> yes. Nikon. <laughs> That's good. I hope you, do you know, yesterday I watched every episode of The Detectorists. You ever seen The Detectorists? Nikon. <laughs> no, I haven't. Well, you go watch it. It's brilliant. It's, uh, there's um, three series of it. It's beautifully shot. Um, and it's, it's, it's very funny. And it's about um, metal detectorists. Oh, um, I've heard of this. Uh, yes. yes. And I watched yesterday. I got up, even though it was only Monday, and I sat on the sofa and I thought, I'm not doing any work today. I can't be bothered. Did you have a day off? Yeah, I just lay on the sofa. Um, <laughs> I, I wasn't feeling particularly great. And I just, just watched uh, the detectorists all day long. Are you, feeling be- are you feeling better now? Yeah, a bit. Yeah. Good. Oh, I'm good. okay. Oh, um, yeah. So watch The Detectorists. I like to do a little, um, uh, you know, what to watch next thing. Yeah. Well, there's one. There's one for us to watch. Mm-hmm. Well, what are you doing this afternoon then after this? Or this morning um, after this, if you're I'm, listening in a different time zone? I'm going to put my hazmat suit on and go down the co-op. Are you? Uh, yeah. yeah we, we, um, what have you run out t- of? We, well, um, and we, we're kind of doing all right, I have to say. The co-op in Malmesbury has been brilliant. Because Don't say that. They'll all be down there. No, no, no. What I mean is they've done this, um, uh, you know, early morning for the um, the key workers and the yeah. uh, the old old age pensioners and everything. Yes, yes. And they've they've been really good with the kind of you can only have one pint of milk type thing and all that. Um, so they've been. I mean, of course, there's not. I went down the other day and couldn't get any eggs or anything like that. But but by and large, they've been really good because they've always got alcohol. <laughs> That's not essential goods. Uh, it is. <laughs> Do you know what I did? <laughs> I, <laughs> I bought a litre and a half of whiskey off Amazon. What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It not, came as well. You're Amazon abusing the, the situation here. Well, look, um, have a nice afternoon watching the rest of the Detectorist and drinking your litre and a half of Amazon whiskey. And uh, and see you on the show tomorrow. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Nikon. The FujiCast is an independent <laughs> Loading Zone production. Email the show with your questions and words of wisdom to click at fujicast.co.uk. Email any complaints and political nonsense to our wives who will deal with your comments in their own good time and in their own good way.